Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we are continuing to record this podcast remotely for the safety of our guests and our team. So, on with the show. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that brings together well-known friends to talk through three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And in the interests of full transparency, I should stay up front that I bloody love this week's guest. In fact, I think so highly of him, I even named my son with him uppermost in my mind. Now, you've been probably waking up with him for over 20 years now as a brilliant male anchor on breakfast television and probably sitting down for dinner with him over Tipping Point on ITV most early evenings. I first had the pleasure of getting to know him when we worked together as hosts on The X Factor and as well as being entirely decent, moral and upstanding. And let me tell you, that is rarer than hen's teeth in the world of show business. He is also one of those people who can literally turn their hand to anything. I'll give you an example. Ballet. Yes, he's got a master's, a degree in dance and ballet, as well as also having honours in rugby and football. You see what I mean? He's been married to his equally lovely wife, Annie, well, forever, it feels. They met at university and have been together ever since, having studied in Birmingham. They've now got two gorgeous sons, Sam and Jack. He was born and raised in Essex and now lives in London with his family. And I cannot wait to talk to him. It's been too long. Let's dial up. Ben Shepherd. Oh, Ben, to see your face and it not be like in, in the actual same room as me. It's very frustrating. I want to give you a hug. I'm so sorry that we've not been able to do this face to face with a lovely bottle of wine as well, Kate. Just that the one. Been... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it a bottle of wine per question? Isn't that how it works? It's, well, if there's three guests and me, it works out at that because that's a glass per question. I see. Oh, I see. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So Obviously, I know that sometimes the maths will look like we're raving alcoholics. Not the case. I know that you uh, you are very responsible and say you always drink responsibly at the end of the podcast. Can I just say, and you know, you and I have known each other a very long time. One of the massive factors of as to why my son is called Ben is because of you. And this weekend you text me and you cited three episodes of the show that you'd actually gone out of your way to listen to. And you're so rare in doing that, but it didn't surprise me because you are, I call you a thoroughbred because you're entirely thorough. <laughs> you are, you're really thorough, always have been. Like a racehorse, you mean? Listen, you, you, I think you and I have the similar mentality, certainly when we're doing X Factor together. You could just turn up and phone it in, but you never do. 
You no. always go the extra mile. That's why you're still top of your game all these years on. Thank you, Kate. Well, I learned a lot from you. Those years were extraordinary years um, as as sort of as your pad one learner, really watching you work doing those. I mean, it was an extraordinary time. And I really, you know, I am very, very proud and honoured that you called Ben. There were some of the, you know, some of the reason you called Ben, Ben was because uh, of our relationship and, and me. And, and that that always makes me feel very humbled and proud when I think about that. Oh, thank you. Do you know, but what it was, right, I've always loved the name Ben, but if I'd have met somebody who was an arsehole called Ben, it would have put me <laughs> off the name, right? You know this, right? It, you would have been the same with Jack or Sam, right? It's good thing, it's, it's good thing to meet me at university. I think you would have had a very different opinion. Not, not true at all. Not true at all, because I just, you're, you're just a really lovely, good person, Ben Shepherd. And I know that sounds really boring and vanilla, but you are. You are honestly thoroughly decent. And it's it's not something you see, certainly in our line of work. And um, it's everything I want my son to grow up to be. So even now, when we're getting ready in the morning, if Piers is on, he'll go, oh, it's not Ben. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then he'll go, there's Ben, there's Ben. <laughs> see, it's the, it's the opposite for me, because when Piers is on, I'm always like, oh, thank goodness it's Piers, because that means I'm in bed. <laughs> yes, exactly. Fast asleep. Uh, has lockdown been for you? Because obviously you haven't been that locked down, have you? You've been broadcasting through a pandemic, which is extraordinary. Yeah, um, it annoyed my brother immensely initially, actually, when because um, uh, my brother's a doctor. He works in pharmaceuticals now, but he works out in uh, and he lives out in Dubai. And I it really annoyed him when I said, well, obviously, I'm a key worker. Um, I had a special <laughs> letter and I was allowed to try travel and stuff. And he was like, that's just ridiculous, just ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I said, well, you know, some of us are keeping the country going, Tobes. That's just how it is. Uh, just to wind him up. I, it, it's, it's for me, Kate, because I'm, I'm very like you. I, I thrive on being busy and working and having things to do. I'm not mm. very good in my own time. I'm really hopeless. So it was a, it was a real relief. It was, a, it, was, it was something that really helped being able to go to the studio, being able to carry on broadcasting, seeing the team there, seeing different four walls was important it was it was it was very surreal driving through london mm. with it being so quiet the first lockdown particularly was really really quiet um there were moments of it that were that were really lovely as well you know the boys were at home i was at the time i'd been filming we were down in bristol filming tipping point and um and that shut down overnight and, and I, so when i'm down there i'm filming um, for however many months, four or five months, whatever we do down there. And I'm up and down to Bristol all the time. And suddenly that shut down overnight and I came home and I could drive into into TV Centre, which is where ITV, where GMB and all the ITV daytime studios are now. Um, but we were at home. We were at home during the day. The weather was lovely. Um, we spent a lot of time with the boys. And we were fortunate that we've got a bit of space so we could enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and there was this strange sense about it, wasn't there, that there were moments that we were getting to experience that we would never have the chance to do usually because everything shut down, school school shut down, work shut down, the transport network, essentially everything stopped and you don't have time to think. And suddenly there was a lot of time to think. And there was a lot of it that was, was, was a real gift just in terms of having that time with each other and in the house. And at the same time outside, there was this, um, this virus that was gripping the country and still is causing all sorts of, damage and pain uh, and that's that juxtaposition that, that there was a sense that did you feel guilty about the fact that it was beautiful weather you were having a good time in the garden wow isn't this lovely when really you know 
I, and I had family members that ended up in hospital very, very ill with it. Obviously, Kate oh. and her family uh, have been through and are continuingly continuing to suffer with with the ravages of COVID and Derek. And that was constantly front and center that mm-hmm. we were very lucky in that we had the time and the space and the opportunity to be able to 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 take a breath and think about and appreciate this moment. But all the time there were families up and down the country and, and globally that were, were were suffering the most extraordinary pain because of it at the same time as well how are your family members i'm i mean we're all we're all keeping a track of how derek's doing and and the news is that much the same yeah. um but but your family members are they recovered yeah they were yeah, they all recovered fortunately my goddaughter had been at university she came home once university locked down and and ended up um, very generously passing it on to her mum and dad my cousin Jackie wasn't very well but she stayed home her dad though paul ended up in hospital twice and he was on a ventilator for a short period oxygen for a short period um and it's scary i mean the reality of it is really really scary paul is a healthy mid 50 year old guy it it struck him and really caught him and gripped him um and the reality of that was difficult for all of us and then we had other various family members who had it no one quite as bad as as paul had it but um you know the reality of that when it suddenly hits you and you suddenly see what it can do and there it doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason necessarily we don't know necessarily why certain people are affected worse than others. No. But you know what, to be in the midst of all of that, Ben, telling this story is something you'll never forget. And as a broadcaster, I think um, it's it's a moment in time that that you should... I don't want to say treasure because it sounds um, it sounds wrong to say that, but you know it's it's something you've I'm, I'm sure you've learned more in this year as a broadcaster than you have in possibly the last ten years in terms of how to navigate the unknown. Mm. And and I, and I think yes, you're absolutely right, Kate. And I think it is one of those those periods in time in ten five ten years we'll we'll talk about it. Do you remember when all the schools got cancelled and every shop got closed and there was a run on toilet paper? I mean, all of those things will just seem so surreal. I hope that what we can all take from it is a broader appreciation of the opportunities that we have, the freedoms that we have, um, the lifestyle that we can hopefully lead and the chances that we can take when when things calm down and we can get back to normal. I think those lessons will come later, don't you? Because initially I think we were all going, gosh, yeah, I'm going to slow down. I'm not going to do so much. I'm going to, you know, it was about taking simple pleasures. And and now we're back in phase two, well, lockdown two. I think it's going to be a year, 18 months, who knows, of normality before we go. Actually, you know, I learned a lot about myself during that time. Yeah, I certainly learned that my wife needs some space every now and again from me. <laughs> yeah, especially after how many years together now? <sighs> 25 wow it's yeah what do they say you get less for murder (laughs) or they do say on podcast things like she's amazing i'm so lucky to have found her oh yeah but that's all a given (laughs) i don't know to be fair i we met at university so you knew annie yeah um when i'd really just got into telly as well and i was sort of a mere puppy when it comes to the world of broadcasting and media so she's been through all of this with me the highs and the lows of of all that experience professionally and then and and is still here and is um somehow still putting up with me which i to this day i (laughs) can't quite believe um that i am yes extraordinarily lucky and um well so she you're you're a good guy ben shepherd and i won't hear otherwise (laughs) Well, Unless it's yeah, from I'm, her. I'm good, at, <laughs> I'm good at buying her shoes and she does like shoes, Kate. This one is quite 
timely because we, we've recently lost the, the late, great Maradona. And in 2006, as all these tributes were pouring in, I spotted you playing with Maradona. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I show my Ben. I'm like, look at Ben, your namesake, playing with. And he's like, Maradona. And Maradona. Like, that's surreal. So I wanted to know from you. I mean, I'm sure that's up there in your top surreal moments of all time. But can you share some others with me that have been pinch me moments? That, do you know, it's for, I, when the, the tragic news that he had died at, at far too young an age, he wasn't a healthy man. Mm. He had his demons on and off the pitch. But um, Johnny Wilkes and Robbie Williams set up Soccer Aid in 2006 was the first year. And I remember Johnny calling me saying, look, we're going to do this football match at Old Trafford. Um, we're going to get all the England greats playing. We're going to get all these World Cup, World greats playing as well. We want some celebs to play. And Pierluigi Colina is going to referee it, who at the time was the internationally renowned referee with these mad eyes and and uh oh and maradona's gonna play as well and i was like you what i mean like yeah i can hear i can hear you saying shearer and sharing and all that that was enough for me tony adams david seaman brilliant diego maradona and i was like you're absolutely joking me how what how does that how do you even do that how, how do you even phone diego maradona anyway it happened we played football against him and he was he was extraordinary. There's this brilliant moment. And I still, whenever I see, I don't see Robbie very much because he's in LA a lot. Um, but whenever we do catch up, we always share this moment because that first game, um, Robbie was playing left back and he started the match that day. And I'm playing sort of alongside him and we're running back towards our goal. And, and I genuinely said to him out loud, I shouted at him, Rob, Rob, Maradona, left shoulder. Like, <laughs> like, and it was like, and he looked at me and I looked at him and this moment of clarity where we were just like, we just burst out laughing because it was like when we were kids in the park and it was like, well, I'll be Gaza, you be Maradona. And you're playing three Aww. in and you're playing Wembley. But we were playing in front of 70,000 people at Old Trafford and it was the Maradona. It wasn't, it wasn't my mate Nick pretending to be Maradona. It was Maradona. <laughs> and then it was even more surreal because, of course, it was Robbie Williams as well, who's a globally renowned pop star too. As you know, Robbie, very down-to-earth, normal guy, loves his football. Lovely, yeah. We still laugh about that now, and that you're absolutely right. And it was, it was lovely to reminisce and re, sort of think about those memories because I'm not sure I do this often enough. Like, are you think you know, if I had to put my life out like, like on a buffet table, what would those moments look like? Yeah. Like, what's on my yeah. life buffet? Oh, um, that's a lovely way of thinking about it. What would you take a nibble out again? I think there's been some amazing moments, Kat. I've been very, very lucky along the way. Uh, things like I was the first European journalist to broadcast live from the Taj Mahal. Wow. Um, yeah. This was when I was at GMTV and we flew around the world in a week. We were in a different country every day. And we started in Agra in um, India at the Taj Mahal. And then we went to Dubai. We went to Athens. We went to Tokyo. And we ended up at Ayers Rock. Not necessarily in that order. We definitely ended up in Ayers Rock. The ones in the middle might be a bit confused. But I had, a day, <laughs> I had less than a day in each of those countries but we broadcast live from the Taj Mahal which had never been done before and India is a fascinating country I mean just it's a it's sensory overload on every level from the smells to the sights to the emotions to the to the look of the place and um, I interviewed the proprietor of the Taj Mahal at the time which I took great pleasure in using his name as often as possible because his name was Mr Dickshit um <laughs> So, You're so puerile. I know I am. You can't, can't take the Essex boy out of me ever. 
And uh, so Mr. Dixit was, I mean, we'd, we'd, and we'd done this big thing about how, how, how they'd, they'd, they'd scanned all of our equipment and they were very nervous about terrorist attacks. So you can't take any phones in or whatever. We've got special dispensation to use the cameras. And I'm interviewing Mr. Dixit overlooking the Taj Mahal. It's beautiful. <laughs> and, and I've talked about, you know, no one comes in with a phone. It's all really secure and tight and they're very nervous. And while we're live, his phone started ringing in his pocket. <laughs> and I just said, and he wouldn't pick it up. And I'm like, do you want to answer that? And I said, have you got any phones in the UK? He said, yes, yes, I have lots of friends in the UK. I think they might be on the phone to tell you that they're watching on television. <laughs> but the, the, our satellite truck, so you have a satellite truck, and that was just outside the Taj Mahal, and it was parked in what was an area where they just put all the rubbish and all the waste. And there was a couple of donkeys around the satellite truck just munching their way through the, the waste. And the cable from the satellite truck went up and over the wall of the Taj Mahal, and you could see it sparking and flashing as they sort of tied it. It was just, from a, from, a, from a broadcasting perspective, I mean, it was a real treat to be there, but to broadcast live mm, from there massive. Was, was, was something that, that I will always remember. Um, I've had a, quite a few sporting experiences as well uh, that I, I, I sort of was, I, well, I, did the, the, I hosted the sort of celebratory parade for the Olympic team in 2012 um, with Helen Skelton. And we, was, we did that right outside Buckingham Palace. So they did the parade all through, through London and, and then they came past us. And, and actually 2012 and the Olympics was... I mean, was mega. Of people, lots of people we were good. We were good for once we as were, a nation. We were great. Well, we weren't just good as a nation, but the country was incredible. As the host nation as well, Everybody yeah. thought that London was going to be a nightmare and it was an mm. absolute dream. Everybody sort of listened. The Olympic lanes worked. And I had the best job I'll ever have, Kate, which was I was every day in the Olympic Stadium hosting the athletics. So before the athletic session started and then after it finished, I would do a little bit of chat for the crowd in the stadium with guests that we had come along. So I was there for every single session before and afterwards. And it wasn't broadcast anywhere. It was only for the people in the stadium. So the 80,000 people in the stadium. And one of the reasons they'd done it was because they wanted they didn't want suddenly it to finish and everybody to flood all the stations. So they thought if we yes. put a little bit of presentation afterwards, then a few people might stay. Um, like a holding me mechanism. That's great. Exactly. But, yeah. how, but how special to be able to, because uh, I know what that would have meant to you. You are oh, the wow. ultimate sport, Billy. You Can love all sports, don't you? It, any and every sport. And to be at the heart that summer, the, the, the centre of the world felt like it was the Olympics in London. And we were there and I was there with friends. JJ was with me, my makeup artist, who you oh, know. Justin Jenkins. And Phil had done the styling and uh, Toby Baker was directing it. So Toby, the, the emperor was Love there. Love Toby you know. Baker. James Longman, who set it all up. Oh, yes. James was there. So all these guys had worked with Kate and I on X Factor many years ago, the X Factor. And they had- Good they, people. So we had an amazing group of people, but we were there every single night for every single moment. And it was such a privilege. It, and we had these, we had access all areas passes. We had, it was just like gold dust. Um, and the last night, and I still look at this picture now, and I know Mo Farah quite well now um, from Soccer Aid and various other things. But on the last night, Mo was awarded his last medal. So everyone had gone and there's a few people still, there's tens of thousands of people still there. And we're interviewing a few people and Mo had just had his medal. So I go over to interview Mo in the crowd and this has never been broadcast, which is what's really special. And I'm chatting to Mo. Mo's wife, Tiny, was there with his eldest daughter. 
And we're just talking about the Olympics, what it's been like, and the crowd were loving it because Mo was just saying thanks to everybody. And 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 then and then in my year, um, James or Toby says, uh, Usain Bolt's out back, and we want you to bring him out. But security is saying they don't want it because they think it will go crazy. So what? Because you know we can get talked to while we're interviewing people. Yes. And, and yeah. James is like Ben, do you think we should do it? Do you think we should do it? And I've gone absolutely. And they said, we've got to be quick, though, because security is going to stop him if he tries to come out. So you've got to make sure. So so we engineered this thing where I said, I said to the crowd, the tens of thousands still there, right, there's one other person who I think you'd all like to hear from. Would you like one last interviewee tonight before we let everybody go and we let Mo go? And everyone's gone, yeah. Okay, put your hands together, ladies and gentlemen, for the one and only Usain Bolt. So Usain came, came out, right? Usain and Mo were good mates anyway. And I interview, I've got a picture of me interviewing Usain and Mo Farah together on the last night of the Olympics. And we had this great chat where they're laughing with each other. And it was just such an amazing celebration. It was a spine tingling moment. You know, they were just having a lot of banter. And then I said, right, okay, one last thing then, gents. We've got to get a photo for everybody because all the media are here. They want to have a photo. Why don't we come over here? And you know the famous photo, Kate, of Usain doing the Mo bot and Mo doing the lightning bot. I set that up. I said, right, boys, come over here. Why don't you go there? You, and I set all of this up and I said, there you go. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, the faces of the Olympics 2012, Mo and Usain Bolt. And the crowd were going crazy. That picture was then global the next day. That wouldn't have happened, Kate Thornton, had I not gone, come on, let's get Mo, let's get Usain Bolt. Do you know out. what? That's, that is mega. And I know that would have meant the world to you because your respect oh. for athletes and sportsmen and women is uh, is unending but isn't that that's like that that shot is kind of right up there with the ellen selfie from the oscars i mean yes. oh undoubtedly yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right it was just and it wasn't and it wasn't and i think i might be wrong with that selfie but it wasn't pre-planned it wasn't organized it literally happened on the spur of the moment and the chances of those moments happening and that sort of if you'd engineered it it wouldn't have felt authentic and it just felt so right it felt like it was a perfect moment in time and being at the heart of that was, you know, uh, what, you know, as you described it, it was a pinch me moment. It was like, and as we, and we walked and, and sort of the guys went and we, we sort of all came off and we'd closed down the studio. We knew that was it. And there was just sort of this moment of sort of realization amongst all of us that have been lucky enough to be there that has bonded all the team that, that Roger Dempster mm. was the door manager. Um, oh. You know, so. Hot Rogers, team, we used to call him. Hot Rog, he's still hot. Uh, but all the still team hot. did it. We are bonded by those two weeks, by that 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 experience in that stadium and that last night that we then all went off and we every now and again we all get back together when we can just to reminisce about 2012. I, I look at those moments every now and again and just think, goodness, did that really happen? It still feels very surreal. And as you say, I love Kate, I love my sport. If I could have done anything in life, it would have been tried to be a professional sportsman. Unfortunately, I didn't have the ability, the skill or anything. I had the enthusiasm, but it only gets you so far. Uh, so to be there and be a part of it or to be sort of, you know, on the edge of it and, and involved with it was was a dream come true, an absolute dream come true. I did, I did, do you want me to give you a third one or is that enough? Oh, yes. So there's two there's two moments from one's a journalistic one and one's a sort of like a British citizen who is loves the royal family. I went the well, you remember the ice bucket challenge that happened a few years ago, which was for motor yeah. neuro, uh disease and and. Tragically, Charlotte, who's one of our uh, colleagues at GMB, lost her father to MND, and I've lost an uncle as well. So it's something that was quite close to us. And Susanna and I, when we were hosting GMB, we did the Ice Bucket Challenge quite early on, and it created sort of 
quite a few headlines as it did and everyone started doing it. It was just the most extraordinary thing for a charity to do. I think what the the charity was able to make from the that ice bucket challenge was remarkable. Anyway, as a thank you for being involved, they invited uh, four of us. So it was Sean, Susanna, Charlotte and myself uh, and we could bring a partner to a to a very intimate dinner at Buckingham Palace with Princess Anne, who was the the head of the charity. And I think there was 30 people for dinner. Wow. I mean, it was, you know, a garden party is one thing and they were really, really gorgeous. And Annie had organized for her niece and nephews to come and stay. So she didn't feel like she could come. So my mum got to come instead. So I took my mum. No. So that was really lovely because, I mean, there was, it was really, really, really intimate. Um, but there's a, there was a picture in, I think in okay or hello magazine and Greg Davis was there who is six foot eight, something enormous. <laughs> and I'm five foot two, and there's a picture of me and my mum and Greg and in that order. And, it's like, and the picture said like Greg Davis with his mum, uh, Joe and Ben Shepherd or something like that. And it implied that she was his mum. And my mum thought, thought it was hilarious that the idea that this six foot eight giant could have somehow emerged <laughs> from my little mum. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the only other one, the other other one that I was just thinking about, which was really early on in my career, I went out to Cannes. So I just started at GMTV, and they sent me out to Cannes. And Moulin Rouge was the big film that year, and Nicole Kidman had split up from Tom Cruise, and this was a big, big mm. story. Obviously. And and you will know this when you've got an editor at home who's saying, and I was going to do a junket with Nicole Kidman to talk about the film and a junket. Everybody sits down. You get three minutes, four minutes with this person. You've got to ask, ask you questions and try and make it interesting. And of course, the editor's like that. Obviously, you've got to ask. You've got to ask about Tom. You've got to ask. You've got to ask. You've got to ask. And it's really, really difficult because you don't want to be rude, but you've got demands from your editorial side of things, and you understand it's got to be newsworthy. You've got to try and get something. And I was brand new. I was really green to all of this. Anyway, what I did know was that my godmother, my mum's sister, who's sadly not with us anymore, my auntie Chris, was good friends with Nicole Kidman's mum and dad from the golf club in Australia. And Gordon. <laughs> so I'd said to auntie Chris, oh, I'm going out to Cannes, auntie Chris. How exciting is that? She was my godmother. Oh, that's brilliant. She said, I think Nicole's going to be out there. I'll make sure she knows. I'll tell Janelle, which is Nicole's mom. I'll tell Janelle that you're going to be out there and that Nicole should look out for you. And I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. Anyway, so it transpires. I go to the Cap Antique to interview Nicole Kidman. Of course, this is at the Cap. And I'm sitting down and I'm really nervous because I'm thinking, oh, I've got to get these questions out. I've got to make this. And while they do their warm-up thing, I said, oh, Nicole, um, my, my godmother, Auntie Chris, said to say hello. And she said, oh, who's that? I said, Chris Elliott. She plays golf with your mum and dad at Gordon Golf Club or whatever. And Nicole Kidman said, oh, Chris, I love Chris. She's amazing. Yeah, my mum told me you were going to be here. And then <laughs> And then, and then, and then, right. So she then she carries on talking, and all, I'm just listening to her saying, "My mum." So Nick, my mum told me you were going to be here. Nicole Kidman was waiting to meet me. That's what I like to think. <laughs> I love then, how you reframed that. Yeah, that was it. She was waiting to meet me, uh, and uh, she carried. And I can't really remember what she said after that because I was just. It was all a bit of a blur. Um, I bet it was. But what was lovely. And it's often the way, and you'll know this, if you can create a connection with a, an interviewee somehow, that's the talent, that's the skill you have to have. Find a way of creating a connection where they feel they can trust you and you can ask them a question in a way that doesn't feel like it's aggressive or forceful and they can mm. and a response from them that is more personal and open, then you can get a really great moment. And, and fortunately, that 
that worked with Nicole. And, and I was able to ask a few things that were perhaps more personal about how difficult it was being there and doing this huge premiere and at a very difficult time for her. And she was so honest. And when my time was up, she said, no, no, we can keep going for a little bit as well. So she gave me some more time. And that, that, from a, that was a real moment for me professionally, personally, obviously, but professionally as well, when you're sort of under that much pressure to deliver something and then to be able to turn around and give them so much more that they weren't expecting. It was, that was really exciting, really, really exciting. And she was looking out for me. <laughs> oh yes, your mother said you were coming. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And also that you went for, a, you know, a, a relatively private dinner at Buckingham Palace. Yeah. I mean, that in itself is, is it did you, did, did you, you must've been with, me when we did we had to meet the queen there was a lineup of us god where were we we might have been at buckingham palace or did you come to clarence house when we went to meet prince charles and we had to take chico and i had to explain what chico <laughs> used to do for a living <laughs> what was the goat herd, a goat herd and a stripper and a stripper yeah the stripping goat and herd. charles went charles went lovely <laughs> <laughs> Now, my next question for you, I always think of you as being utterly without fear. Like, you know, you will hold your own in any situation, but everybody has their own fears and foibles. And I just wondered, what are yours and how have they changed as, as we get older? So if I think back to when, if I think back to when we were working together, so early 2000s, I think, what was I scared of? I think I was, I think I was really scared of not taking every opportunity that came my way and, and grasping it with both hands and feeling like I had let something slip through my fingers. I think there was an element of um, whatever happens, I've got to go for it. I've got to go for it because I don't want to look back and think, I wish I tried that. I wish I'd gone for it and I didn't and I was too scared to do it. And I think I had that, maybe it was a bit of naivety, sort of professional sort of greenness that allowed me just to throw myself in with both feet in lots of different scenarios um, and sort of embrace uh, opportunities and chances and moments. And I bet that was a real, you know, cause I kind of fell into television. I'd been at university and I'd done a degree in dance. And I think in my head, I was going to go on to uh, drama school and I was going to get into acting, I guess, at some point down the line. That was that was. Tell me if this is like Wikipedia folklore um, or internet mistruths. But did you not end up doing dance by mistake? Had you not originally applied to do something more drama based? Yes, that no, that's not that's not folklore. That's true. I did. It I is. Had you had you applied for the wrong course? Well, like, that's so, quite fundamental. Yeah, yeah. As as Andy, <laughs> great pleasure in pointing out, I'm not great with details, Kate. <laughs> and um but you are so thorough ben i don't understand that is, well details to do with myself so i had so it's in my defense i was doing my a-levels and i wasn't really sure what i wanted to do and i walked into my form room and there was an ucker amendment sh uh, amendment form ucas they call it now but it was ucker back at yes. the time and it was courses that you could apply to that hadn't been there before and one of them was so a drama dance in brackets sport and recreation management combined honors and I thought, oh, a bit of sport and a bit of drama, maybe with a little bit of dancing. I quite like dancing. 
Uh, yeah. That sounds like it might be quite good fun. And I and it was at Birmingham University, so a great university. So I applied for the course and I went along. And when they sent me the invite to for my interview day, on the on the on the form, they was they they stuck this other little form saying, for your audition, for your dance audition, please wear Leotard and tights. <laughs> and I was thinking oh, I don't have any leotard and tights. I mean, I, I don't. So I was like, okay, so what I'm thinking, and I was quite rational about this. I think they must get a lot of girls applying for this course, not many boys. So they've sent this. I will just go in my rugby shorts and a vest. <laughs> and, <a vet. laughs> and, uh, and the day before I went to see my, men, my mate's mum, Alison, who was a dance teacher. And I said, look, Alison, I've got this audition. I don't really know what I'm going to have to do, but they have asked me to wear leotard and tights. So it might be quite formal. And so we, we spent a couple of hours and she, she taught me first, second and third position ballet wise, a few step ball changes, a few. We did a few bits around. It was brilliant. I loved it, Kate. I absolutely loved it because like, you know, like all those things, throw myself in with both feet, give it a go, whatever. I'm never I've never been I've never been one to worry about embarrassing myself. I think that's one of the things that I certainly didn't have. I would never had a fear of embarrassing myself. I'd always rather put myself in a position where I sort of gave something a go than wish I hadn't. And um Anyway, so we got to my audition and the first thing the teacher said, as we walked in through them, there's all these girls in leotards and tights and plastics, which were sort of like warm-up trousers, all by the bar, warming their legs up and stuff. So I'm like going, oh my goodness me. And I noticed- And you put rugby shorts on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I start doing a few squats and a few sort of, you know, stretches. <laughs> yeah, all this sort of stuff, a few press-ups, you know. <laughs> and uh, and the, the instructor came in, Claire Lidbury, who was my then my um, one of my um, teachers for the next three years, lecturers for the next three years. And I said, look, oh, you, you asked me to wear leotard and tights. I don't really have a leotard and tights. Um, uh, so I just put some shorts on the t- vest. Is that all right? And she kind of looked me up and down and said, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. She wasn't fussed at all. And she said, we're going to start. And then she just looked at the class and said, right, we're going to start at the movable bar. And I went, no, go to the bar. <laughs> already we haven't done anything and all the girls go and line up by the bar and i had to go and line and they, honestly this was the first time i'd ever done it and i stood at the bar and i put myself in the middle between all the girls because i thought right what i'll do is i'll just copy them and, and that's all i did and it was pretty straightforward it was none of it was r- ridiculously complicated um and i found that i could sort of imitate the movement first second third whatever so fortunately i'd done that with allison the, the sort of the night before and a few other bits and pieces and then, and then we, and then, and then, and then the other lecturer came in. Andy Adamson's the guy who came in, and Andy came in, and he said, "Right, let's let's move the bar away. We're going to do a bit more." And then it became a bit more physical theatre based. And that then I was in my sweet spot because it was like you know, bit of movement, bit of pretending, bit of acting, bit of messing around, and and I really enjoyed it. I really really enjoyed it. It was great fun, and I loved the challenge of being at a bar. I thought this is brilliant. Look how cool is this? This is great. I've never done this before. Not sure you want to do it on your audition for a degree course. And we were sitting down having a chat afterwards. And one of the girls said, they said, have you got any questions? And one of the girls said, oh, what's the percentage dance to drama? And they said, it's always probably about 80, 20, 80% to 20%. And I went, oh, right, 80% drama to 20% dance. And they went, no, no, no. I mean, they all look like that's really. <laughs> No, 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 80% dance, 20% drama. And I went, I looked at them all and I said, is this not the drama audition? And they went, no, this is the dance audition. You're here for dancing. You're not here for drama. And I went, oh. Oh, and I was trying to work. Am I? And I said, and, then, and at, at that very moment, I had to go because my interview for the sport and recreation management was happening in another building. I said, I'm really sorry, I'm going to have to go, but I'll come and have my interview with you a little bit later on. And I went off, sort of went and did that 
interview for that part. And then I had an interview with them later and they said, have you really never danced before? I've really never danced. And I'm sorry that I've come with no experience, but I loved it. It was really good fun. And all the girls who were there, they were having to sit a sort of a, an essay paper because a lot of the girls like the practical side of things, but it was quite an academic based course, but I was doing combined honors. So I didn't have to do that part of it because if I was going to be accepted on the, the sport recreation side, they didn't need to check sort of my academic side of things. And I said, look, I've really loved it. And I'd love to do it if I get the chance. I got offered the place, which was amazing. And then it really was, is. You, you totally blagged it. I totally never blagged danced it. before. Never, never danced before. I got offered the place and then the, I had a year off, right? And I spent the whole year going, I can't do a dance degree. I cannot do it. It's a ridiculous thing. What am I going to do for three years dancing? What a stupid notion, you idiot. I'm just, I'll get there. I'll do a bit of dancing, do the sport and I'll drop one of them and I'll just do single honours in. And my plan was I'll do single honours as sport and recreation management because that's what I'm going to do. And by the Christmas, I dropped the sport and it was just full dance. And I spent and three, three years doing the most brilliantly creative, ridiculously eccentric, wonderfully expressive course that I would never, ever have done had I not applied to do it by accident and met the most amazing people, had the most brilliant time. Um, and, and, and what was really funny, because I used to get, you know, I played a lot of rugby, as you know, I played a lot of rugby and I was able to introduce the rugby department to the dance department, which was, there was a meeting of, of probably bodies <laughs> more than mine for a couple of years. But I used, to get, I used to get it. It's like, you know, you get some rugby players going, so what, do you, what are you doing? Oh, you're doing a dance degree. Oh, well, you must be gay then. You must be gay. And I said, well, what are your courses? What, tell me about your lectures. You're doing geography or sport. 250 people in a lecture hall. And I said, mine is 16 girls and me in leotard and tights rolling around on the floor all day. What, do you, what would you rather be doing? <laughs> And I think this great misconception. I always say, I get every now and again, it doesn't happen so much now, but I get letters or from, from parents saying, my son loves dancing, Ben. I know you did dance, but he gets quite a lot of teasing from schoolmates because he's a dancer. Can you offer him any advice? And I, and I always get in contact with him and say, look, honestly, you're in the best place because creatively it's the most fantastic environment. It doesn't matter what people think about you. Just go and enjoy it. And, and it won't be long before those boys that are teasing you will be desperate to come out with you because you'll, be, you'll know all the girls. You'll be introducing them all around. And, and that, you know, your, your ability to, to, to express who you are physically and emotionally will be better than theirs ever will. And it was, I love yeah. that your priorities were just about meeting girls, Ben. Yeah, come on. 18-year-old <laughs> come from Essex. I was all over that. But, you know, I... I and, and and typically met Annie in the second year and then that was it. She was doing philosophy. She's far, she's, she is, uh, yes, very bright is our Annie and, and spend the whole time considering life and existence. So in your, in your early working years, the fear of, of letting an opportunity pass you by was one of your great fears. Yeah. And I, I get that. I understand that. I also was completely fearful that it would end and that yeah. somebody would figure me out and say, all right, you've not got any of the right paperwork. You clearly shouldn't be here. Time for you to go. I think that imposter syndrome is something you can hear quite a lot, isn't it? And, and a lot of what we do is about making sure, like, I think, you know, one of the reasons you, you I wanted to ask, you know, I want, always want to find out, to make sure I'm prepared for something. I've been in too many situations in the past where I haven't been prepared. And I've promised myself I would never do that again. I did a, I hosted a premiere once, a royal premiere for um oh no i tell you what i tell you what really informed this i did an audition for a musical and i had been told by my agent 
that I was going to go along and meet the producers and have a chat. And I went along to meet them. I can still vividly remember this guy. It's making me shiver thinking about it. Went along to meet them, chat, said, hi, Ben from T4 or whatever I was doing at the time. And um, come to have a chat. And they said, yeah, great. Have you got a song prepared? And I didn't have a song prepared. <laughs> I didn't have a song prepared. But rather than saying, no, no, I, I actually, I'm sorry, I haven't. I can get something done, whatever. I went, well, yeah, 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 I'll, get, I'll give something a go. And, and I said to the pianist, can you, do you know Ain't Misbehaving? And he said, yeah, 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 we can play it, Miss Faven. So I went down onto the stage and the piano was off the stage in the wings. So, of course, what you do is you stand in the stage and you perform for them. I went and stood, <laughs> stood in the wings with the pianist to sing A Misbehaving, which I hadn't sung for 12 years and barely remembered the words. I sort of did that awful thing where you go, A Misbehaving, A Misbehaving, just you I'm thinking of, A Misbehaving. I'm saving my love for you. It was awful. <laughs> oh, God, it was horrible. Anyway, at the end, I sort of poked my head out of the uh, and I went, okay, shall I come and chat? And they said, thanks, we'll, be, we'll get in touch with your agent. <laughs> and I walked out absolutely morti- mortified that, I hadn't, that I, had, I hadn't really prepared myself, crossed the T's and dotted the I's, and I promised that I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't find myself in that situation again. If the opportunity arose... Whether I was going to take the job or not, I was going to make sure I gave everything I possibly could, not least out of respect for what they were doing and for all the other people that were patiently queuing for this job. And, you know, respect is a big driver for me. And and I didn't. I did. I felt like I was really disrespectful at that point. I'd been given the wrong information by my agent and they, they'd sort of messed that up as well. But I kind of figured that I'm at an age where I, well, this was this was years ago, but I needed to take a bit more responsibility. It's very easy in our line of work to let someone else take responsibility for the decisions and everything because we can just, they'll just point you in the right direction to get you to do what you do. So that, that fear of not grabbing every opportunity, not making the most of it, was certainly much more apparent then. I've got better at, and so I'd say yes to everything as well. I'd say yes to everything because I hated the idea of missing out on something. That fear of missing out is, you know, I was always as a kid, you know, the last to bed and the first up in the morning. And I, I, if, if something had happened without me being there, I was always really distraught. I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Terrible FOMO, yeah. Oh, I've got much better at kind of going, I could stay up now and carry on with this lot, or I could go to bed and wake up in the morning and they can tell me about it and, and have enjoyed the fact I had a couple of extra hours sleep. And I've got much better at realising, as a 46-year-old nearly, that's what I've got to do. I've got to be a bit more grown up about those those decisions the stuff you do in the gym terrifies me by the way i just don't know how you haven't broken your neck you the weights that you lift you're insane but i and one of the reasons i do that though one of the reasons i work hard in the gym is because there is very little that i can control in my life right i'm, I'm working hard at that i'm working hard at the professional side of my life you know I've got a production company now that's going really really well with um as part of an objective and, and other ideas that we're constantly coming up with. I've got much more proactive, but actually as a broadcaster, as a presenter, very often you work when someone wants you to work, when someone phones up and says, can you do this, right? And so they'll say, right, go there, do that. This is what we'd like you to do. So you can then go and do the job, which I love, which is brilliant. Making your own opportunity is something that's really, really important. And we're working on that and that's that's happening. But the one thing I can really control is my physical and mental well-being. I have complete dictatorial control over that and that's one of the reasons I've always loved sport and exercise, but it's one of the reasons I do it because it allows me to feel like I am controlling an element of my life that dictates how I feel about everything else. If, I've, if I'm training hard and I'm running a lot or cycling a lot or whatever that might be, I sleep better, I feel better, I feel more confident, I can deal with mm-hmm. you know, the bits and pieces that come at us 
um, during the day, during the weeks, during the months. And I love the challenge, the physical challenge of it as well. I do feed off that too. The way I sort of challenge my fears now is that the actual process, the actual doing of what it is that's scaring me will never be as scary as the thought of doing it. I went for a run with Sam the other day who is just so fit now. He's 15, he's six foot two, he's got size 12 and a half feet. He's got feet like canoes for heaven's sake. I mean, why do you need that much foot? And uh, we went for a run in the park and we're running. And just as we come back to our house, there's this really steep hill. And I was really struggling, really struggling. And I thought, God, we're nearly home, we're nearly home. And I turned around and said, keep going, mate. We're nearly there, we're nearly there. And he literally slapped my ass. He said, come on, old man, keep up and ran off. And he's never, <laughs> ever done that before. And that was a fear. That was a real fear of mine, that the idea that the boys are going to get bigger and stronger and fitter than me, and I'm not going to be able to keep up with them. And it was, you know, obviously I was mortified and crestfallen, but I was really proud at the same time. I was really, yeah. really proud and thrilled that, you know, he is, he's, his physical fitness and his journey that he's been on since lockdown. Cause he'd never run before first lockdown. And now he's just, he's done a sub 20 minute 5k run, which is incredible. Um, he's just so inspiring. I love it. Now my final question to you, I can't imagine that you never, ever see something through, which is why I wanted to ask you, what is something you never seem to be able to finish? I'll tell you exactly what it is. And this comes from living with a wife for 25 years, 20 odd years and working with Kate Garraway. I can never finish a sentence. (laughs) I can never finish a sentence, Kate Thornton. You can laugh, but you know it. Honestly. I know it's true. Yes. Garraway's ability to disregard the fact that someone else is talking when something pops into her head is unparalleled. So I will be talking and she will finish the sentence. And I'm like, and, 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 and Annie, and so I've got that at work and then Annie at home. So with Kate, with, with Kate, right, it's not, she's not doing it for any other reason other than something's popped into her head and she says what she's thinking, right? That's why she yeah. never lets me finish a sentence because she will take over, she'll do it. With Annie, it's because she thinks I speak too slowly and I'm wasting time. So she, she's just like, I'll oh, just get on with it. <laughs> and we've got to the point now where I will be telling her. She's bored by you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, after this many years, I'll be saying something and she'll be finishing my sentences and I'll stop. And I'll just stop till she realizes she's finished. And, she, and she'll look at me and she'll go, oh, for heaven's sake, you're just taking such a long time about it. Just tell me what it was you were going to say. So it, that is the one thing that I never get to finish, Kate Thornton, is my sentences <laughs> at home or at work. And it drives me mad, honestly. The, the sort of the, the apathy that washes over me to the point where I go, do you know what? I'm just going to be the quiet, grumpy one in the corner and everyone can deal with it because that way no one gets upset. It's so much easier. But, you know, I mean, I can sort of empathise with both Kate and Annie because I don't know about Kate, but you get to this age and I think Kate's around my age where... You know, I mean, I'm looking at a candle now, but in 10 minutes time, I could look at the candle and go, what's that called? Wax with a fire in it. Wax with a fire in it. So when something comes into your head, you have to get it out because the, it's very rare that you can be confident that the words will all hang together and make sense, I, right? You know, it, candle versus pot with wax on fire, <laughs> right? To be fair, it's very rare that all the words that come out of Kate's Kate Garraway's mouth do make sense as well. That, that, can be, that can often be the challenge is that she's mixing up thoughts from the last half an hour and it's all coming out. Could be that. It is coming out in a sort of a, a splurge. 
And equally with Annie, you know, I have been guilty in the past with partners of when they start on that story or the really long sentence. Yeah. I'll just go. Yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. France. Yeah. You told us that. Yeah. And it's so rude and dismissive. Horribly, horribly <laughs> dismissive. Like, but equally, you know, it's, no, no, it's, no, no. it's so not nice, but hold neither on, is boredom. Hold on, hold on. Before you start trying to agree that you understand Annie's pain, right? I'm not telling her things she's heard before, Kate. She's, oh, like, right. she's literally clutching the end of the sentence out of the air because she thinks she, like, there's a problem, right? She always thinks she knows the answer to stuff. But she will always claim that she does know the answer to stuff. I say she always thinks she knows the answer to stuff. So she will try and finish the sentence without having any idea where we're going with this sentence, just because, you know, oh, come on, just get, and honestly, the, the amount of time she goes, oh, what are you doing? Like just get on with it. Just get on with it. I'm like, because I just, you know, there's no rush. I can tell you this story if you want, or I'm quite happy. And, and I'm like, I've got to the point where I don't mind. Like genuinely, I don't mind. I don't need to, I don't, we don't need to be talking. We've been together long enough that the talking is kind of immaterial these days. It's just to fill the space, right? There's very little <laughs> we have to share that we don't know about each other. Oh, you sell longevity well, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to, I mean, it's optional. Yeah, Talk's optional. It is. Just buy some shoes every now and again. Everyone stays happy. She's a good guide and a um, good counsel. And when she listens and she lets me finish, she will often uh, offer some great sort of support. Oh, well, undoubtedly always offers um, fantastic support. And it's great fun. It's been, it's been really, you know, I've been very lucky to be able to share what I have with her and, and I wouldn't have been able to do it. You know, I wouldn't have been able to do. Well, maybe that's where this is. This is where she's getting it from. Because, you know, when you say what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine, <laughs> she thinks that applies to your sentences. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you might absolutely be right. And if that's the case, then she owns about two thirds of my sentences before I've even said them, Kate. <laughs> oh, ben, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. Um, we don't talk enough. And um, it's been joyous. It's been, it's been a treat, Kate. I think catching up with you is always really, really lovely. And, um, I love, I love this podcast. I love the questions that you ask. I think they're really interesting and intriguing questions that you elicit some uh, points. I mean, lots of the people that you interview, of course, I know as well. So it's fascinating listening to them talk. Daisy or Ant Middleton or Greg Wallace, who you've had on recently. My love to you as always yeah. and to the boys who are even taller than you. Mm-hmm. How is that possible? And of course, to the good Lady Shepherd. Thank you very much, Kate. Give Ben a big hug from us as well. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in real life, in proper sort of tangible, touchable distance at some point. Can you imagine 2021? It's going to happen. I'm rolling that year in glitter already. (laughs) Thank you so much for lending us your ears. As always, the show is produced by me, Kate Thornton, with Michael Bartholomew for Yahoo UK. Editing is by Callum Goddard-Mucklow, who's co-producing as well. And music, as always, is by Andy Bell. His back catalogue's available on iTunes and Spotify. I'll be back next week with more great guests and hopefully great conversation. Until then, do as we always do, and please drink responsibly. Oh, and if you're still there and you can be bothered, could you rate and review us? It really helps other people to find and discover the show. I thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.